So while uh, the offering is being received, I do want to uh, introduce to you uh, Steve Spear, uh, who will be speaking to us this morning. We don't often have guest speakers on stage at Grace, uh, but uh, Steve is actually making his second appearance uh, at Grace. He, uh, he was here three years ago sharing his story of running across America from Los Angeles to New York City in four months. And so uh, he has certainly earned... Uh, the credibility to speak to us uh, when it comes to World Vision and the work that they're doing across the globe. So before he comes, uh, I want to read the passage of Scripture that he's going to be speaking from. So if you want to grab a Bible, turn to John chapter 4 or bring that up in your device. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, selected verses from that passage. And then uh, he's going to come out, we're going to pray for him, and then we'll uh, give him an opportunity to inspire us. But John chapter 4, starting with verse 3, it says, He, or Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse, uh, drop down to verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Drop down to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but, had no, one, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? John chapter 4. Steve, if you would come join me on stage, would you welcome Steve Spear to Grace Fellowship this morning? Uh, let me pray for Steve and then uh, we'll uh, uh, give a listen. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for... Uh, the moment that you uh, have provided for us to consider the next call uh, in our lives and the challenge that you have before us. Thank you for Steve and his willingness uh, to share this challenge with us. Bless his words this morning. Open our hearts to receive them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Morning, Steve. Thank you so much, Tim. I know you guys love your pastor, but he is, I love your pastor. I love Tim, and uh, he's such a great guy, and uh, congrats. Uh, he came in nine minutes under his goal yesterday at the half marathon, so that's big. So, yeah, totally, totally give him a high five when you see him after the service as well. Well, I'm very humbled and excited to be with you again. Uh, as Tim mentioned, yes, I did uh, run across the United States six years ago. I ran 3,081 miles, not that I was counting, um, but I did. I went through 14 states, went through 10 pair of ASIC running shoes. We figured I ate about 1,000 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mid-run. It was definitely pretty crazy, because definitely if you knew me like 10 or 15 years ago, I'm like the most unlikely guy to have run across the United States. But uh, that story I, I did tell about four years ago, so you can go back into the Grace archives and, and listen to that if you'd like to 
But um, speaking of running, I wanted to offer a huge thanks to the Grace family. I don't know if you know this or not, but over the last four years, over 170 of you have stepped beyond your fears, gone way to your comfort zone, and ran or ran walk the monumental Indy Half for Full Marathon. That's amazing, including like 26 of you from yesterday and over the last four years, because I know you're bursting to do a round of applause, but before you burst for a round of applause, you've raised over $210,000 for clean water for kids and families around the world, so that's huge. Um, Way to go. I see orange jerseys here this morning, so fantastic. Way to go, Grace family. I wanted to give you uh, just some huge, huge thank yous for that. Also wanted to give you an inside scoop of something pretty crazy happening these days at World Vision. As Tim mentioned, World Vision, we've been around for over 70 years. We are the largest Christian humanitarian organization in over 100 countries. But these days, there is a renewing spirit happening within us. And it's birthing some new ideas. And I'm telling you, there's a big idea that I'm going to share with you in about 16 minutes. And you're one, Grace is only one of less than 10 churches out of the tens of thousands that we work with to actually hear this idea. So I want to begin, though, with a question. And my question is this, have you ever had something insanely positive occur that you didn't see coming? Something insanely positive occur that you didn't see coming. One of the challenges during the U.S. run was me taking in enough calories every day. I needed to take in about five to 6,000 calories a day in order to run the next day's marathon and then to repeat that 150 times in a row across the United States. One of the things that we found though, so for any of you that have done some running before, when you finish a long run of 13 miles, or in my case, 26 or 35 miles, sometimes your appetite isn't there right away. It takes a little while for your appetite to come back. I needed though my appetite to come back quickly so that I can ingest enough food for the next day of running. One of the things we found, though, after about three days of the run was something that actually turbocharged my appetite, and it was a Dairy Queen blizzard. Um, (laughs) So I love dairy, I love dairy, and I love ice cream. So we found that if I ingested a Dairy Queen blizzard, a large one, maybe two, what would happen, it would actually stimulate my appetite so that I could take even more food that evening for the next day's running. So uh, this word got out ahead of me as I ran across the United States. When I ran through Chicago, I was at our home church, Willow Creek Community Church, where I had pastored for over 16 years at one of our campuses. Um, I had given a little bit of my story from stage, and then after the service, people were waiting to greet me, to say thanks or to, you know, say hello or to take a picture or something like this. And so as I was greeting some folks after one of the service, a gentleman came up to me, and he uh, held up his hand to shake my hand, and then he gave me something. And I looked at it, and it was a Dairy Queen gift card. And he said, your reputation has preceded you. And so he gave me this, and then he said, my wife and I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing for the poor and the vulnerable children in our world. And he gave it to me, and I thought, oh, man, thank you very much. I tucked it in my pocket. Uh, I think later that evening, I, I put it in my running pouch. And then about a week later, I was running through Indiana, had finished a day of running, and we ended up with me, two other crew members, at a Dairy Queen. And so we got, we got, I think we got like four blizzards, two of them were for me. I handed the gentleman my card to pay for it, and he took it, he swiped it, and he gave it back to me, and he said, sir, there's a $283 balance left on your card. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, I usually get a gift card. I was thinking like $20, which I would have been like completely thankful for. I just wasn't expecting. He loaded it with $300. I mean, it was something that I just didn't expect. It was 
a reversal of sorts, if you will, in my own mind. Well, our passage today, John chapter 4, Jesus' interaction with a woman at the well, it too was a reversal beyond measure. And in the next few moments, I would love for us to see from John 4 that radical reversals in our lives, just as with a Samaritan woman, have three big ideas. They center on a time and place. They reveal truth about ourselves and God. And then finally, they always lead to steps of action. So the scriptures describe that in John 4, that Tim had just read for us, that Jesus left Judea and he was going to make his way to Galilee. So a quick little geography reminder. Uh, Palestine, the broad area of Jesus' ministry, was about 120 miles from north to south, and it was divided into three sections, three large sections. In the extreme north was Galilee, the extreme south was Judea, and then the area in between was Samaria. Now, the only problem going through Samaria, which would have only been a three-day journey versus a six-day journey, is that there was a bitter religious difference between the Jews and the Samaritans of the day. I mean, this difference had lasted well over 400 years. I mean, it was a deep, deep divide. Nonetheless, Jesus, the reversal master, and the disciples made their way through Samaria. And then as the scriptures say, at about noon, at the hottest point of the day, the disciples and Jesus came to a well. So there's our time and place. The disciples go on into town to get food, but Jesus hangs behind. And a Samaritan woman approaches Jesus, and Jesus begins a conversation with her. So Jewish men... Uh, in the day, especially Jewish rabbis, did not speak to women in public, not even their own wives or daughters. Yet Jesus, the ultimate breaker down of barriers, puts all this to rest, and he underscores the innate dignity of all. This conversation, even in of itself, was a radical reversal, flipping power structures on their head. I love how one writer puts it. Here is the Son of God, tired and weary and thirsty, here was the holiest of men listening with understanding to a sorry story. Here was Jesus breaking through barriers of nationality and orthodox Jewish custom. Here's the beginning of the universality of the gospel. Here is God so loving the world, not in theory, but in action. Big idea number one, Grace Family. Radical reversals almost always center on a time and place. A big idea number two, radical reversals tell or reveal truth about ourselves and God. Now, it's not surprising uh, that when this dear sister hears of the living water that Jesus offers, of which if she drank from it, she would never thirst again, she wanted it. I mean, imagine for a moment you're at the gas station, okay, and you're about to fill up your empty 15-gallon tank, and it's going to cost you like $45 to fill it up. And you did it not long ago, and you're going to have to do it up in probably a week or so. Just as you have the nozzle and the opening of the tank, someone comes up to you and they say, I can give you gas for your car for life and you'll never need it again. Now, once you've identified the person isn't a kook or a con artist, you might be interested, right? You know, Phillips for life and maybe Slurpees to boot. I mean, come on, this is not bad. I mean, this is the sentiment of the woman. She does indeed want what Jesus is promising, yet to receive it, she needs to own truth about herself and her own condition. So here's the truth about me. And really, I mean, you, you know very little about me. I mean, all you really know is I've done some running and I like ice cream. I mean, that's about all you know. And yes, I'll be going to Fair Oaks on my way back, uh, definitely, for more ice cream. Uh, 
But I want to tell you about a, a phrase that someone told me that brought the truth of this passage to life. And when this phrase was kind of spoke over me, it was at a time where I was feeling tremendous guilt and shame in my life. And the phrase was this, Steve, do you know that Jesus looks right through you and he still enjoys the view? Did you know that he looks right through you and he still enjoys the view? When that phrase was first spoke over me, I, I was very aware of my shame. I was very aware of my guilt. I was very aware of the ugly things in my life. And then, wait, he looks right through me, and he looks right through you, and he still enjoys the view. So almost imagine your name being spoken right now. Kevin, Susan, Tim, Anthony, Betty, Allison. Jesus looks right through you, and he still enjoys the view. He loves you. He has chosen you. When we think of this and when we accept this foolish love of God personally and the fact that we are to live in the fact that he chooses us, he does ask really only one thing, and it's this, the most important action step we can take to do the same for others, to love others to recognize the great love brought into our lives and to love others, to joyfully pass on his love with everything that we have, to give that same radically reversing love to others in our world, especially those who are hurting and the most vulnerable, especially the hurting and the most vulnerable. Did you know that Jesus talks about caring for the poor and the vulnerable more than just about anything else when he was here on earth? In fact, the Bible has over 2,000 verses that address how we should treat the poor and advocate for justice for the vulnerable. And there are dozens of examples of this in Scripture. But for a moment, I want us to dive into one of the most powerful of all and for you, the Grace family, the most personal because you've been living it this past week. You've been living some amazing experiences right out of the text of Matthew 25 in the various days of your week, just this past week, when Jesus said these words, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to drink, or something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, this is the kingdom of radical reversal. It's when Tim taught at, taught from last week. It's who our God is. He has a different kind of kingdom. Instead of riding in on a stallion, our king rides in on a donkey. Instead of having servants, he came to serve and he washed the disciples' feet. Instead of being wealthy, he lived a meager life with few possessions and invited his disciples to do the same. Here's that final big idea about radical reversals. Just like the woman at the well, they always lead to steps of action. Her steps of actions were to run and tell her fellow townspeople what the Lord had done for her. Ours is to do the same. Specifically, to restore broken circumstances in our world and to affirm 
the inherent dignity of people. You see, we are called to restore broken circumstances surrounding vulnerable and the most impoverished children and people in our world. We're also called to affirm the inherent dignity of people. One of my best friends, his name is Rusty Funk. That is his real name, by the way, Rusty Funk. And he even, he's not even a musician, but it's a cool name. I love it. Um, Rusty's the national director of Team World Vision. Rusty's reminded me that if we're not careful, we can gloss over the second step of this reversing kingdom. When Jesus calls the people who are hungry and thirsty and homeless and hurting, those that have the least in this world, he calls them his brothers and sisters. And in doing so, he affirms their inherent dignity. Do you know how powerful this is? You see, Jesus knows that we as humans, we unknowingly tend to protect the false narrative that people who have less are less, right? But in this one small but holy sentence, Jesus completely destroys that lie. He reverses it and says, no, just because people have less does not mean they are less. They bear my image in my identity. I mean, this is it, friends. These are the two action steps of the radical reversing kingdom of God. This is what it's all about. To use our resources and blessings to get in the game and to help in the restoration of broken circumstances, even if it's just for one child or, or one person. And I don't know about you, but I'm often tempted to think that, well, I don't need to help. I mean, somebody else will step up. But when we say yes to building the reversing kingdom of God, you know what happens? And not only are the people we are serving changed, not only are communities transformed, but our lives are changed in ways that we never thought possible. I want to tell you about a little seven-year-old girl who changed all this for me. Um, this is Winnie. Uh, this is a child that Francis and I began sponsoring years ago. Uh, this is when I had the unique privilege of meeting her in August of 2012. It was on this day that I met Winnie and her family at their very humble home in the Rift Valley area of Kenya. And then after some greetings, we walked one mile to their water source, which you can see in the background of this image. Uh, this small pond that you see is where they washed what little clothes they had. It's where they bathed. It's where I saw livestock drinking around the perimeter of this pond and relieving themselves. This is their water source. And then we drew water out of this contaminated water source in that five-gallon container. This water, by the way, would kill half the kids under the age of five in Winnie's village. It's called the infant mortality rate. And then I carried that five-gallon, weighs 50 pounds full. Think of an old-school microwave on your back full of water. And I carried that one mile back to Winnie's home. And that one-mile walk back to Winnie's home wrecked me. There was a seismic shift that happened inside of me that day, and I have literally, I have not been the same since. And my heart was just breaking, thinking about Winnie and the thousands of kids who would not have life. And then I learned how our $39 a month was being pooled together with the $39 of other children in the community that were being sponsored to not only bring clean water, but sanitation and education, healthcare, and even microfinance. On this next image on the left is when I met Winnie uh, almost seven years ago. 
I mean, this is before they had access to clean water and a sense of what fullness of life could look like. On the right is the last time that I saw Winnie one year ago on November. And they now have access to clean water. Winnie is excelling in school. Her family has a small, thriving garden business. And get this, every Sunday morning, Winnie teaches 20 to 25 smaller children truths from Scripture like we heard this morning under a thatched roof in their very humble church. We've now seen and hung out with Winnie and her family twice since first meeting her in 2012. And I'm telling you, this young, vibrant, joy-filled girl is not only family, she has redefined family. Broken circumstances restored, dignity affirmed, people and their whole communities transformed. So Grace family, in the next few moments, we have a vision that would bring this radically reversing love of God from you here at Grace, not to just any community, but a very specific community in Kenya named Kalapata. Kalapata, Kenya. Kalapata is a beautiful, beautiful part of our world. It's filled with beautiful children, but they lack the basic resources to thrive. They, they are full of hope even though they have so little. And the coolest part is that each of us have a small but massively important part in helping the children of this community who desperately need our help. So today, we are inviting you, every one of you, to become a child sponsor. To say yes by sponsoring one of the hundreds of kids in Kalapata who are desperately waiting on a sponsor. And how your $39 a month, just as with Winnie, will restore their circumstances, and affirm their dignity. And of course, I know that in a room like this, many of you already sponsor a child, and to that we want to say thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. But perhaps the Lord may be inviting you to open your family to maybe one more. Because I'm telling you, this is unique and groundbreaking, and more than any other kind of stinking group on the planet, we wanted you to know about it. Because typically, how I would invite you to sponsor a child today is that you would walk out into the lobby and there in the lobby you would see some string and some clothespins and you would see picture folders of children hanging on this string that you would see out in the lobby of children that we want you to choose from. Imagine that setup out in the lobby with kids to choose from. But for the last year or so, we've been praying some big prayers at World Vision. Big prayers that would continue to push us in new ways to better serve his vulnerable children. And a few months ago, he birthed an idea that radically reversed our world. He led us to ask the question, what would it look like for the first time ever if this whole thing was reversed? And instead of us choosing a child, they were empowered to choose us.
Jesus said, whatever you've done for the least of these. And the righteous will say, when did we see you? When did, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? And when did we see you a stranger? And when did we see you naked? And when did we see you sick and in prison? And the king will answer and say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now the question is, does does Jesus intend for this passage to be taken literally? I mean, this is a parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, but is, actu- is Jesus actually saying, you know, faith without works is dead, and this is how you know that it's not dead? I mean, we take our salvation literally. Why wouldn't we take this kingdom mandate uh, literally? Because this is, this is what I know about our faith, friends. If it doesn't reorient our heart, if it doesn't reshape our lives, is it really faith real faith radically rearranges everything ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world so what would that truth look like in the way that we lived out our faith in very practical ways and so this morning we have a very practical tangible doable way of demonstrating real faith as uh, Steve just presented, friends, this challenge, this is such a compelling challenge and at the same time, a very challenging challenge. Here's, here's, here's what's so compelling. Everything changes when, when it's somebody you know, right? I mean, when it's personal, that's when you get passionate about it. It's hard, it's hard not to move into it when it's something, someone that you know personally. And Jesus said, when you've done it to one of the least of these, my brothers... So these are brothers and sisters. These are siblings. This is, this is family. Everything changes when you know, when it's somebody that you know. So uh, we're not looking at this as a project, but as pe- these are children. These are someone's sons and daughters waiting and wanting the same things that you would want for your children. So that's the, that's the compelling part of this challenge. Someone on the other side of the world, one of the least of these, our siblings, our, our sons and daughters, is going to look at you, they're going to look at your picture, and they're going to say, I choose you. I want you to be a part of my family. That's compelling. But friends, this is also challenging, and here's why. Because you will probably never meet this child. You will never get to hug this child unless you go uh, to Kenya yourself. You'll never get to visit their village or go see where they go to school uh, or walk to get water with them. Uh, This is part of what we call walking by faith, not by sight. We become the hands and feet of Jesus, trusting that he's using us in a way that we will never get to experience physically. But you know God is doing something incredible. So don't let the challenging part overtake the compelling part. What you're doing physically is making a physical impact, but more so what you are doing by faith is making a spiritual impact on this child. So Steve's going to come back in a moment and give us some instructions on exactly what to do next, but here's the deal. Here's what's happening. Tomorrow morning at six o'clock in the morning, I along with Dina Pendergrass and James Stacy. Dina is our uh, missions coordinator, she makes sure that we dot all the I's and cross all the T's. She takes care of us, makes sure we're at where we're supposed to be. And James is, uh, is going to video, uh, he's going to s- capture all of this on video so he can, we can bring this back to you next week 
uh, and see these children that chose you. I'm, I'm just going along for the ride. I, when, when World Vision presented this opportunity for us, I said, I can't, I can't not be a part of this. We, we can't, Grace Fellowship can't not do this. So tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, we are going to board a plane, destination Kalapata, Kenya. And there's so many, there's so many exciting things about this, friends. There are 1,200 children, at least 1,200 children waiting to choose you. They're just waiting to choose you. So we're going to leave Monday, we're going to get there Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, we're going to have the first ever choosing party in Kalapata, Kenya. This has never happened in Kalapata before. There's been no child sponsorship in this area. Grace Fellowship is going to be the first church to make an impact in this area. So we've got to do this. What's more, friends, uh, this, this past week, some of you are familiar with Thrivent Financial. Um, the, vi- the vice president of Thrivent Financial caught wind of this and said, we, we can't not do this. And so at their annual meeting this past week, they had 151 wor- workers, uh, employees say, I, I want to be chosen. So I get to take those pictures, 151 pictures from Thrivent Financial to Kalapata, uh, Kenya, so they can be chosen. And there's more. This past Friday night at the dinner, right before the marathon, uh, World Vision cast this vision to all of the runners uh, that ran yesterday, and 16 people got their picture taken. They want to be chosen. I get to take those pictures to Kalapata. So I've already got 167 pictures, but here's the deal. I don't want to take more of their pictures than I take of your pictures, okay? So can we do 100? I think we can do 250. And here's the thing. When when we add all of that together, we can cover a third of those children that need to be sponsored. A third of those children who are going to look at your picture and say, I choose you. World Vision, is, they've only been in this area for a little over a year, so they're building, uh, uh, they're laying the foundation for relationships and they're building trust. Uh, and so can you, th- can you imagine the kind of impact we as a church can make in building that relationship and building trust in that area that's never had this done before in their area? So we, we can't not do this. Now, again, as Steve said, I realize some of you are already doing this. You're sponsoring children through other organizations, maybe World Vision or Compassion International or Food for the Hungry, whatever. I, Rhonda and I, uh, we've, we've got a picture uh, on the screen. I want you to take a look at, uh, this is Jelena January. Isn't that a cool name? Jelena January. This is, this is our girl, a little girl from Tanzania. Um, and today she's going to get a sibling from Kenya. Because, because we, want, we want to be chosen. And so uh, if no guilt, no pressure, I just engagement. I just want to inspire you. I want to encourage you to do something that's never been done before. I want to take your picture 8,500 miles away on the other side of the globe and allow a child to say, I choose you. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to this opportunity and that you would use us in ways that we can't even imagine, ways that we'll never get to see physically. But knowing that you are transforming a child's life, a family's life, a community's life with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father. Call us, use us, Send us. In Jesus' name we pray. 